Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Listeners, I'm here for interview part two with Swati Martin. Swati, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. So we we covered it in our last session, a good portion of your backstory and talked about how your the diversity in your family, the ethnic diversity in your family led to your understanding of yourself and how that translates to how we are in the world. Uh, the, the process of internal reflection, the process of really thinking deeply about what's going on as opposed to buying into a particular narrative from a narrow point of view, which is largely what is going on so much in the world today and in social media. I hope that's an accurate description of what we heard. <laughs> yeah, and actually one of the things I, I wanted to add, um, you know, talking about the diversity of my background and I shared in our last conversation that uh, as, as a child, you know, I had to kind of meditate and find my own answers. And one of the, one of the, the you know, one of the things that I had to think about and that, you know, kind of was a question, especially being, you know, multi, multiracial, but I do believe that most people are multiracial anyway. You know, if you go far enough and sometimes not very far, you would see that actually we're from everywhere. And so when I looked already at uh, my great grandparents, um, for example, on my mother's side, you know, I did have a grand, great, my two great grandfathers were colonizers and my two great grandmothers were black women. And so then I do have both in me. I do have the colonizer and I have the colonizee. And on my father's side, I have the slave and the slave owner. Mm. So for me, even though my skin is black, you know, that is the color of my skin. But at the DNA level, I carry as much of the oppressor than the oppressed. And so I can't, so, so one of the things that, you know, as a child, I was like, why would I, because my skin is black. And as a matter of fact, in my family, I have people who have white skin, but have, you know, the same mix. I mean, it's just that they came out, you know, with multiracial, you can come out any, any way, you know, so the, the outside appearance is different, but actually at the DNA level, we, we have this, we share the same DNA. And so one of the, one of the thoughts and questions I had is why, because I have a black skin, I need to take on the, the narrative of the oppressed. And similarly, if I had a white skin, why would I take on the narrative of the oppressor? You know, I mean, we all carry that. So I, I, my, my then thought was, actually this outer, this body is just a costume. 
you know, the reality of who I am is my soul. And my soul chose this costume as the best costume in this lifetime for me to help make the world a better place. Because I do believe that's my fundamental belief is that at the end, you know, what we're trying to do is all go back to our essence of being love and we can call it paradise, nirvana, enlightenment, whatever you call it, we're all, you know, uniting with the divine, with source, with God, you know, in whatever way you describe it, we're, we're on that journey. And so I then, I, you know, I, I have separated in a way, you know, although it's, again, it's both are me, but I also can, can know the difference between my soul and my outer shell. So my outer shell is not my identity. My black skin is not my identity. My beautiful curly hair is not my identity. For me, is, is the same as if my soul, uh, if you know like how one day maybe you wear a dress and the next day you, you wear a dress to a red carpet event and then you have to go hiking and then you wear boots and pants. I see my outer shell and I've seen my outer shell as a costume and, and I'm proud of it and I love it. I love, I love the way I look, I love my skin, I love everything. You know, I wouldn't change anything about myself because it is the perfect outfit for, for what I've come to do in this lifetime. And I do believe that, you know, and, and it's in no way an identity, it's just in support for me, the, the, that outer shell is just in support of your destiny. It's not, it's not who you are. It's just, it's just an outfit again. And so I think for me, that has been very helpful as, as a child and then, you know, developing into a woman and, and even in my life to be very free, you know, of, of boxes, of identities, of, um, you know, kind of tagging into narratives. I also never sought, um, you know, to be parts of groups. So I didn't, you know, I never had that sense that I didn't, didn't belong. So, you know, I didn't need to buy into any, and to this day, I don't need to buy into any group thinking uh, for me to feel I belong because I, you know, my, my faith is really strong. So I, I be, you know, I belong to God. I belong to the universe. I belong to our consciousness. And actually, I don't even need to belong. I mean, it's not even something I'm questioning because, you know, my whole, I'm whole. Everything I have is, is in me. I, I don't need, you know, um, anything outside because actually there is nothing outside it's every everything is one so it's it's one of those where you know it's difficult to explain with words but um you know i think to, to the 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 summary of it all is that you know i don't identify myself with any boxes what a beautiful way to look at it <clears throat> and let me also say from a, an anthropological view, um, you know, the, the notion of, of race is a complete invention. It's a complete, um, what's the word? It's a contrivance. It, it has, it by itself has no basis in biology. Now, having said that, Race does not exist biologically. Racism is alive and well. So absolutely, this is. And you know, I think 
I think the other thing I feel that we don't hear enough, and I wish we, we heard that more also in the media, you actually can't tell who, you know, if we talk about, let's say, black and white, you actually can't tell really who is black and white because, Bob, you could totally be half black. I have people in my family, you would not even, you can't even tell that one parent, you know, that, that they're African. I mean, you couldn't even tell. Because with the mixes, you know, people come all kinds of ways and, and you just don't know. And so I feel like also sometimes taking things at face value, uh, again, is, is a bit dangerous. And I wish there was more of that, you know, being spoken. Because I have even my, you know, three cousins, three sisters, one is white and two others are brown. And like, you know, same parents, but, you know, actually, and the two brown, one looks Indian, totally like a South, South India uh, person because they have Indian in their family. And the other one is more kind of brown with curly hair, more, more similar, you know, kind of more similar my type. But these are three sisters, same mother, same father, just came out differently because of the mix of DNA. Mm -hmm. And so today I find that also lumping people into groups just because they look the way they are, you could actually say, you know, you could tell someone, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're like this and you're like that, but actually you don't even know who they are. Exactly. And that's the point is that by putting somebody in a box or having a box that you have to check off completely ignores who you really are, who, what your background is, who your relatives are, what your family history is, that it, it erases all of that through its simplification. Yeah. So wonderful, Swati. That brings us to our next question, which is, who were the most important influential people in your life, your teachers, who really helped shape who you are today? Well, I would say first thing, my, my mother, uh, I have a really incredible, amazing, best in the world mother. <laughs> We're completely different personalities, but I adore her. And um, I'm so glad every day I chose her. Uh, she embodies values that uh, I respect. Uh, and that for me, makes me really happy you know um, I I love that uh, my mother is uh, you know is detached from material things I think for me that is important so we were brought up not to value um, you know not to have this attachment to material things and for me that is something that is very important because I, I feel it's at the root cause of a lot I mean even <clears throat> and if we think of racism racism and race was a, a social was a construct that served you know economic interests and so uh, that greed and that wanting of things of accumulating material things of, of and power you know uh, it's something very material so um, again you know I was very fortunate that um, this is something um, actually on both my families that is not really part of you know our, our family culture and definitely that was something my mother uh, instilled in me and my brother uh, very strongly uh, that we're not here to serve the material 
And as a matter of fact, uh, she had one sentence, you know, my mother is very, you know, she's, uh, she's a very introspective person and, I, and she definitely brought us in that way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when our bedrooms would be untidy, my mom would not say, uh, well, go and tidy your room, it's untidy. She would say, she would just say this sentence. She would say, an untidy room is a reflection of the untidiness that is within you. What within you is untidy? And so, I mean, when you're like six or seven years old and you hear that, you know, it's a little bit a slap in the face because of course you have an ego and you're like, okay, what is she saying? She's saying that, you know, <laughs> I'm confused. And so, but, and, and that was it. And so, you know, she forced those thinking. And one of the things she did say about material things, she, she, and she very early on, she said, the want to accumulate material thing is a replacement for love that you don't have. So if this is what you're looking for, what you need to look into yourself is where love is lacking within you. And, um, and you know, that, uh, yeah, that I think, you know, was very strong. And of course, you know, we, we were brought up, you know, with a lot of love. So I'm very fortunate also in that sense, because her being aware of these things made it that she was conscious in her parenting to focus her efforts into the things that she believed you know, would, would um, give us, you know, kind of strong, um, uh, you know, strong backbone. So, so I would say, you know, so that for me as a value was very important. Um, you know, my mother has a passion for Africa uh, that I think, uh, and both my father as well, but obviously my mom uh, instilled. And then the, the most actually the second most and maybe actually even more important than the material thing um, my mom taught me freedom and I remember a few years ago exactly um, five years ago I called my mom and I said mom thank you for teaching me to be free I, and, and, you know, I had this moment of realization where I was like, wow, this is the greatest gift I was given because uh, that freedom means that it is what I cherish the most. There's nothing more important than that freedom. Uh, and, and that, you know, valuing that means that, you know, I, I can... You know, I can seem uncompromising, and I think I am in, in many ways in certain things. Uh, I, I don't compromise on, on my freedom. And when I, when I talk about freedom, I'm not talking about, you know, it in a light way, but, you know, freedom of, uh, of being, of choosing or following uh, my path of, um, you know, trusting my spiritual journey, trusting my choices, um, you know, and, and that freedom for me is important. So freedom, uh, the importance of love, of course, and then uh, as said, the, the detachment of material things. And I feel that this, um, you know, although my mom uh, was, is not, I mean, now more in her older age, but I would say she's not really the one, uh, 
you know, she's not a, a particularly spiritual person in the sense that, I, you know, yes, she, she has a spirituality, but what I mean is I was not brought up into praying or going to anywhere. As a matter of fact, um, she did not baptize uh, me uh, and my mother and my father, and definitely my mother said, you have to choose your own spiritual path. So it's not for me to decide who, what, and who you're going to be. So, um, you know, we're again brought up in that freedom to choose. So, so yeah, so I would say my, my mother, and I can go on and on, um, so many incredible things, but this would be the, the top three things about my mother. And uh, my father, uh, there are three things. One is courage uh, and sacrifice. My father sacrificed his whole life for something he believed. He left to the US when he was 21 years old. He never went back until he passed away, never saw his family again, lived a life of fugitive and he passed away at age 67. So from age 21 to 67, the choice of being a Black Panther, fighting for um, the liberation of Black people, he was ready to uh, risk everything, risk his life. And for me, that's courage. And uh, definitely um, that's something that um, I can say I have. I, I you know, I'm pretty much fearless, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I have some, some fears, but it's, it's like, I guess like everyone and I still work on them, but generally, um, you know, that's something actually people would describe me as a fearless person. Uh, and that comes from that. I have the courage to say what I think because I believe what my father, if my father did that, I mean, like seriously, just to honor the people before us who have done all they've done, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I just can't be sitting in my, in my comfort, you know, so I have to speak up for what I believe. So courage is one and sacrifice as well. Uh, I do believe that there is, a, there is a part of sacrifice. We need to let go of some of our privilege. Uh, we are brothers keepers. So, um, you know, we can't just be in our privilege and create silos and walls and and barriers because we want to keep those privilege for me i you know i was i was born privileged you know i went to the best schools um you know i never lacked anything i had a you know very comfortable life um but i never i always saw it and i think also as part of my education it was always seen as something that I received as a gift for to be put to the service of others, not because I deserve it or, um, you know, I should take pride of it. But again, in the same way I view my body as a costume, whatever I got in this life, whatever material privilege I've had in this life and I have in this life, for me is just to be used to the service of what it is that I've come to do. Uh, I have no attachment to it. Uh, and my father had no attachment to it, obviously. Uh, and my mother doesn't. So, so that, you know, the, that, that, that uh, courage and sacrifice is one. The other thing that my father said, although he was not African, but, you know, 
I mean, in a way, he also came from Africa, if we don't go back, you know, back enough. But he said, when you're, he said, when you're born African, you're born with a responsibility. And, you know, when you definitely are born and grow up and live um, in a place like Africa, where I've lived, you know, all my life, basically, and you see so much poverty around and so on, and your privilege, you know, you're, 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 you know, I'm my brother's keeper, um, you know, and a lot of times I find myself uncomfortable when I had periods of times when I was living in Europe or in the US, uh, I just felt, felt this disconnected. And I remember telling a friend um, that was 2007, I was living in Paris and I said, you know, I, I can't live in developed countries. Um, I feel that there is too much disconnection from the reality of the world. The majority of the world is poor everywhere, whether you go to Asia, Africa, South America, and even in the US, you know, it is minority of the world that is um, rich. And, you know, I don't want to live in a golden cage. I do want to be in an environment where every day I'm, I'm in contact and with people who have less than I have because then we can share, then, you know, then, then yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't, you know, I never wanted to have the suburban lifestyle, you know, this, it, it's just, <laughs> it just made me feel uncomfortable. It was like dying. And it's not that, you know, it's not out of guilt, but it's just that for me, it just didn't seem like the reality of the world. I just want to be in the world. Like, you know, I don't want to be of the world, but I want to be in the world. Um, so, so that, you know, that responsibility, um, being my brother's keeper is the second thing I would say, you know, that I learned from my father. And the last thing, you know, my father used to say, I'm not a believer, I'm a knower. My father had a very strong um, spirituality and belief in God and faith. Uh, and I feel that I have inherited from that because, uh, you know, I always say I, I believe in God, like for real, <laughs> like not not as a, I I do, and so and so what it means is because I do, um, you know. There's I you know I'm I'm not really attached to whatever of the future of what's going to happen, and you know it can panic. I think um, certainly panics my mom often. <laughs> And, and, and often even not, you know, even this, I think was uh, a few hours ago, we had a conversation and I was like, mom, you know, you understand, I, I you know, I say it again, but I, I believe in God, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't worry like that about life because I don't take life so seriously. So anyway, faith, um, as my dad would say, I, I'm definitely like him. I feel like, um, you know, I'm not a believer. I, I know and, and that's my own truth. It doesn't mean the other thing that I want to say is that my truth is, you know, I don't believe in one universal truth. You know, I, I feel that everyone has the experience and creates the framework of reality that supports the best, you know, what it is that they want to do. And even that is just my opinion. So I'm not trying to impose anything. I don't, I don't have any dogmatic view on, on the world. I just know of my own experience. Um, but 
But let's say that I chose also at a soul level that, um, you know, that framework of knowing God, not believing in God, but knowing God. So, so that's, that would say, and then, you know, lastly, um, you know, spiritual, spiritual leaders of various faith, um, you know, I've been passionate about spirituality most of my life and I've dedicated my life like really consciously to my spiritual journey 25 years ago when I was, um, Actually, I think it was around age uh, 21, yeah, or 20. I was about 20. At age 20, that's when I, I, I made the choice of okay, that's that's it. This is what's going to be my priority in my life, and it's it's been my priority since age 20. So I'm 43 now, so it's 23 years. Um, and that journey for me has been just. Um, you know, deepening. Uh, I do have a strong affinity with, uh, with you know, the message of Jesus and um, you know his teachings and stories, um, and that that is you know kind of my resonance in my heart. But that being said, you know, as we shared on the last week, I shared on the, on the circle. Uh, I'm very passionate also about other religions, and I find that. Uh, for me, whatever maybe I call God uh, has revealed itself, you know, in different ways. And all these ways are, you know, if I love, and, and that's my own, again, you know, that's just my own, the way my journey is going is that, you know, if I love God and is my beloved, I want to know all facets of God. I just don't want to know uh, the Christian facet, because that's just one facet of my beloved. I want to know uh, the Hindu and how the, the Buddhist, the Zen Buddhist, um, the, the Kabbalah, the Jewish, the Sufis, the Muslim. And so I've been passionate about religions uh, and, and uh, a topic that is very dear to me is religious literacy. Um, so that's definitely something at some point in my life I would like to spend more time sharing because, I'm, you know, I've, I, 20, 20 years ago, uh, 23 years ago, I decided that I was not reading anything else than spiritual books. So I haven't read any, I don't think I've read any non-spiritual book for 23 years. <laughs> so it's a lot of books. <laughs> Well, I love your vision of unity, both social mm -hmm. and spiritual. And Swati, this is a good moment for us to end this. We still have one more very important chunk to talk about in our next interview. So thank you so much for being here for part two. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, as always, listeners. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.